So have you ever got into a heated theological argument in a Sam's Club? I have. <laughs> oh. So this happened a while ago. Yeah, that didn't sound good. I'm sorry. It's happened a long time ago, but I remember it quite clearly, actually. Uh, our family was living in Soresco. It was our first call. But I was in Lincoln because I'd just done a burial at a cemetery. But I needed to pick up some groceries. So on my way back to Soresco, I stopped at the Sam's Club. Now, I'm shopping around, pushing my cart. I'm in the cereal aisle. I'm wearing my clergy collar. And a woman comes up to me. I think she thinks I'm a Catholic priest. And she asks me, Father, do you believe in the rapture? Now, perhaps this was ill-advised, but I chose to be honest with her. And I said, no, I do not. And in her world, that was the wrong answer. And she became a Bible-quoting machine. And she really focused on Matthew 24. Because in Matthew 24, there's, there's language, and it sounds like this. There will be two in a bed, one will be taken and one will be left behind. Two will be grinding mill, one will be taken and one will be left behind. And she interpreted that as by biblical support of that there's gonna be a rapture. But I know Matthew 24 as well. And I know how Jesus sets up that teaching. He sets it up by saying, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. Now, what do we know about the flood story? There were a lot of people taken in the flood and only Noah and his family were left behind. So the whole point of Jesus' teaching is that you don't wanna be taken. You want to be left behind. And I tried to explain this to the woman, but she was unconvinced. Now, this experience was actually troubling for me and kind of sad because we are two people of faith, but we did not feel unified in our faith. We felt like adversaries. We felt like we had something to fight about, and that's not good. And I tell this story because in our age of outrage, this kind of arguing over, you know, different things in the Bible or theology or issues, this is what the age of outrage thrives on. It thrives on justification. I'm right and you're wrong. Ed Stetzer writes in his book, um, Christians in the Age of Outrage, in part two, chapters three through chapter six, he focuses on four lies that Christians buy into, and when Christians buy into these lies, what it does is it reduces our beautiful and life-transforming faith into just intellectual chess pieces that we're moving around the board and we're trying to outflank other people. We're trying to 
demonstrate that we are better than you. And this is very problematic. But Jesus knows that this, this is not a path that's gonna help us to love God anymore or to love our neighbor anymore. Jesus teaches us a different way. And what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus is continually inviting his disciples, you know, not coaching them on, you know, you know, here's a great intellectual zinger that you can throw out there. No, he's inviting them into experiences. Jesus is about experienced-based faith. So Jesus is inviting them into experiences of welcome, experiences of humility, experiences of forgiveness, experiences of grace. And I believe that our Christian witness will be so much more effective if we don't get caught up in our own justification wanting to be right or getting into arguments, it will be so much more effective if we share experiences of love, share experiences of grace, share experiences of forgiveness and healing with others. Today's scripture passage has two very good examples of the power to transform us through experience, but also how problematic, you know, kind of our intellectualization of our faith can become for us. So I invite you to open up your uh, Bible to today's scripture passage, the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, verses 21 through 37. And if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you can find it on page 948. And I wanna take a look at the beginning of the passage Luke 10, 21, and this is a little segment. It's, it's the ending of the disciples coming back from their mission work. Jesus sent them out two by two. It's not quite the Good Samaritan story yet. But Jesus says this, at that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Now, why do you think Jesus says this with the disciples? I think there's something about when our faith is only in our head, there is something hidden about the power of faith from us. And the thing about infants is that you know, we can share a lot of experiences with infants. We can share joy with infants. We can share frustration with infants. But you see, it's, 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 it's about experience. It's what are we experiencing together? And so the disciples have just had these experiences where in Jesus' name, they have healed. In Jesus' name, they have set people free. In Jesus' name, they have forgiven people. And I don't think the disciples can necessarily explain what they've just experienced. They just know that they've experienced some powerful things and it has brought them joy. And they are now sharing this joy with Jesus. The disciples, they say, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. And they're like, wow. So winning religious or theological arguments 
it's not going to bring us this kind of joy. It's the experiences and the shared experiences of life and faith. This is what will bring us joy. The second example, take a look at Luke 10, verse 25, and this is the beginning, the setup of the Good Samaritan story. And I really want to focus us on this interaction between Jesus and a lawyer. Now, when you think of a lawyer in this story, don't think of, you know, like a lawyer today. Think of more of a religious expert, someone who is an expert on the Old Testament, on those Old Testament laws. They're an expert in that. And so this lawyer stood up to test Jesus. So what is the lawyer? I mean, it's, you can feel that the lawyer is kind of setting up the intellectual chess pieces right here. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And can you feel that there's this um, theological argument starting to erupt in a Sam's Club here? Yeah. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. Jesus responds in three very helpful ways. And this is what I want to look at right now. The first thing that Jesus does when he responds to this lawyer who's trying to test him, you know, pick a fight, is Jesus asks another question. Jesus is curious. What does it say in the law? What do you read there? And, and the lawyer responds. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then the second thing that Jesus does that's so helpful is Jesus affirms the common ground that they share. Jesus says, you've given the right answer. Do that and you will live. So Jesus works very hard uh, so that both the lawyer and Jesus feel like we are standing on shared common ground together here. However, the lawyer still is seeking to justify himself. You know, this for the lawyer, this is about proving something. And so Jesus responds in a third way, which I think is so helpful. Jesus tells a story. So often when we get into arguments with people, it just becomes about rhetoric. I think if we were better at just telling more personal stories with each other, we can kind of lower the temperature of outrage a lot. So what might this look like in our own lives? Well, I think it's just human nature that all of us, with the people we work with, with our friends, with our family, with the people we go to school with, you know, maybe even here at church, there's always people that we don't see eye to eye with. And the way we have things figured out in our head doesn't seem to be the way they have things figured out in their head. And this is ripe ground for arguments and disagreements and friction and outrage. But what might it look like if we follow Jesus with asking questions, being more curious about one another? And if we work a little bit harder to find and affirm that common ground that we do share? And what if we do a better job of just 
telling very personal stories with each other, very human stories with each other, I think we'll find that we will be changed, that we will be less vulnerable to indulge those temptations of just fighting back and want to justify ourselves. And when our energy changes, that has an impact on the other person, that has an, uh, an impact on the people around us. In fact, we're gonna see at the end of the Good Samaritan story that the lawyer, this religious expert, has changed. And Jesus recognizes this change. So let's, let's take a look at the, the story that Jesus tells uh, of the Good Samaritan. So there is a man, he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he happens to fall upon robbers. They steal from him, they beat him up and then they just leave him half dead in, in a ditch. But then there's two religious experts. There's a priest and a Levite. These are people, they, they know religion, they know faith, they know scriptures better than anyone else. But so much of their faith is just in their head. And so when they see this half dead man in the ditch, they are unable to respond. They just pass by on the side of the road and continue on. But then there's a Samaritan. And now we, we need to understand that in Jesus' day among Jews, Samaritans were no good, dirty, rotten, stupid people. There was genuine prejudice against Samaritans. And, and Jesus is very strategic in telling the story about a Samaritan. But there's something about the Samaritan, the way that he sees. He sees this man half dead in a ditch and he's moved with pity. He's moved with compassion. He is able to respond with kindness and generosity and love and actually help this man who needs help. And then Jesus finally asked the question, who was a neighbor to the man? And I think the lawyer would have never imagined that he would ever say such, such a thing. But the lawyer responds, I think in a very changed way, he says, the one who showed mercy, the Samaritan showed the man mercy. And I think Jesus can recognize that something has changed within this lawyer. And it's because Jesus did not engage with this lawyer in, in a way that would you know, encourage a fight. He didn't, he didn't argue with the man. He loved this lawyer. He listened to the lawyer. He affirmed the common ground that they shared and he shared a very personal story with this lawyer. And because something had changed, Jesus saw that in him. He said, go and do likewise. I believe that you can respond in the same way that that Samaritan responded to that man who had a great need. And Jesus says to us now, Go and do likewise. 
I see the difference that faith has made in all of your lives. And I believe that you can respond to the needs out there in the world in the same way. You can be moved with compassion and you can show such great love and kindness and generosity as well. But we need to learn to catch ourselves. We need to learn to not engage in arguing about intellectual things in our faith and in religion and about issues. But we need to commit ourselves to asking more questions of each other, be more curious about one another. We need to work a little harder to find that common ground that we do share. And we need to be better storytellers. We need to tell more stories and more personal stories with each other. These kind of faith experiences help us to love God more and love our neighbor even more. Sheridan right now is in a season of stewardship and if you look over at the tree, we've already got a wonderful response. All those green leaves have names on them. These are the folks that have filled out the pledge card and have filled out the ministry opportunity form. And the reason why we have this season of stewardship is not because this is just an annual thing that you have to do, and it's also not something that we want you to do just in your head. We want this to be an invitation into an experience, an experience that we share. Filling out a pledge card is an invitation to experience what generosity actually feels like. An uh, filling out the ministry opportunity form is an invitation to experience uh, the care ministries and the serving ministries and the outreach ministries and the hospitality ministries and the music ministries to have a shared experience of ministry and working together as people of faith. And experiencing this together, having experiences of service and story together having experiences of listening and questions, having experiences of generosity and of love. Yes, these experiences will be challenging for us sometimes, but in these experiences we will grow and we will experience joy in our faith. Amen.